Welcome to Influential She, the podcast about accelerating the influence of women in the world. You will find us to be a fresh voice in an old conversation. And here we are, your amazing co-hosts, Deb Soholt and Mel Shop. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Influential She. This is our podcast about accelerating the influence of women in the world. I'm your co-host, Mel Shop. And I'm Deb Soholt. We're just so glad that you would tune in to this podcast. You know, we're going to be talking about the high leverage practice of doing. And what's so interesting about doing is that many times, Mel, you and I, we've talked about, you know, if we were going to give wisdom to our younger selves, we would say we had this incessant committee in our heads that was just going on and on with these multiple voices. And we were overanalyzing and overthinking. And it was very difficult just to get about the doing, even if the doing path was the wrong path. Didn't you feel that way, Melody? You know, it just drives me crazy and it's exhausting and I catch myself still doing it. So even though I can give all this advice to other women, it's really interesting that I get myself stuck in that. You know, in fact, Deb, today, I know we were, you know, in a in a show with uh, somebody on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. I had somebody send me a text and said, hey, you should listen to yourself because everything that you said is something that you should be actually doing. Because sometimes it's so we get so caught up in trying to, you know, get all this stuff done that we forget to sit back and make sure it's aligned with our value system. And so many times, you know, it's actually kind of a woman thing to have this multiple crosstalk between the right and left brain, because science has proven that women have a more developed what's called the corpus callosum, which is this grand bundle fiber in the middle of our brains that connects the right and left brain. So even when my boys were growing up and I would say to them, all right, tell me right now, like, what are you thinking about? And they would like, tell me like one thing, like I'm thinking about changing the oil in my truck, or I'm thinking about getting ready for bath. I mean, it's just like one thing. You just have like one thing on your mind. And we as women only have one thing on our mind as well, but it is multiple things flipping back and forth all the time. And then we wait for perfection to have everything all wrapped up in a bow, to have all of the risk factors identified before we really start doing. But hey, in this podcast, we have an amazing guest. She got about doing at a very young age and someone that you know pretty well. It's just like super exciting for me to introduce her because our podcast guest, I knew this young woman from the time she was just teeny tiny. In fact, um, you know, I, I've known, I knew her parents from the time that they came to teach in the small town that I was at. I joked with her the other day that I actually was at the birth of her younger brother, which she didn't even know. But here's what I remember about Haley Steele is that I remember Haley standing up in front of this huge gymnasium and singing the national anthem at the age of four and maybe even younger Haley. I don't know. <laughs> and, and so this is the start of this pathway of this brazen, amazing young woman who's just made her own path and she's done it all by doing so welcome Haley to our podcast tonight I'm just so excited to have you here thank you so much for having me I'm so excited too I can't wait yeah you know so Haley you know it's really interesting because I you know I've known you from the time you were really young and you were really a, a young girl but what I didn't know um is what it took for you to get to where you are today you had this you know, you, you obviously had a talent, and that's one thing. So many people can sing, many people have talent, but the difference in what I see with you is how you were so determined to make this pathway of how you were going to get to where you are today, which is in Nashville, by the way. Yes. Making yes, it is. your own way. <laughs> 
making your own, you know, charting your own path, but it was not without without obstacles. Right. So here so tell me a little bit about so I, I want to take you back when you first started and you talked about you and your dad just making this almost this big like chart about where you're going to go, what you're going to do, and then how determined you were to get there. Can you just talk about, I just thought that was amazing. I shared it yeah. with a bunch of people. Um, so it's, it kind of started from the very beginning and I started performing obviously at a very early age. And then it was kind of like, how do we, where do you go after you play at like the, the harvest festival talent show when you're in first grade, you know? And then, so it's like, what's the next step? So then after that, we started calling nursing homes in the town where I lived and churches. And I would do things for like $20 at a nursing home and a Thanksgiving turkey, you know? But then after that, it all sort of started snowballing. And it, my dad was kind of the one who was trying to figure out how to basically be a booking agent for this kid. And obviously, Mel, you know this, my parents were teachers and they had no knowledge of the music business. You know, we're living in a small town in South Dakota. And so what we did, what my dad figured out to do is we basically started cherry picking. So we would we would make a list every year or every few months of all of the festivals that were coming up in South Dakota or like the surrounding areas. And he would he would print them out. And this is exactly what a booking agent would have done back in the day. So he would make binders of these venues, phone numbers. Back then it wasn't even email addresses. You had to send in a press kit, like a physical CDs. And I mean, when I started, it was still cassette. So you had to send in everything so that they could hear you. And that's kind of how it all started. And then once I got old enough, I mean, I'm talking like 15, 16, then I kind of started taking over because obviously he was a full-time, had a full-time job and he was a coach and, and, you know, so I kind of started, we kind of started doing that together. And then as soon as I got to be about, I want to say 17 or 18, I was doing it all by myself. And so I was just calling venues in South Dakota being like, Hey, can I sing? And anyone can call, you can find those phone numbers, but it's kind of funny because they, all of those venues had to also listen to me. And at at some point somebody discovered that I could sing and that I was not going to be a huge flight risk. And I knew what I was sort of knew what I was doing at that age, I guess, um, from all of my experience playing nursing homes, you know what I mean? But, um, but yeah, it kind of started there and I've always just carried that mentality with me. And I still, that's kind of still what I do, honestly. Um, and I've had help here and there. I've, I've gone through phases in Nashville where I've had booking agents and teams and whatnot, and I've learned a lot from them. But for the most part, it's it's mostly been grassroots and I've done most of it. I can actually say that I've done most of it independently. You know, you've talked about in, at a very young age, you had this incredible hustle. You know, the willingness to just roll up your sleeves and do whatever needed to happen to start following a dream. So do you think that was something, was it really instilled from your parents? Or did you feel, were you always this kind of, I'm curious, I'm moving, I'm going to start doing How did this all start to come forward for you? I will say that I do think it's a combination, but my parents would sit here and tell you that, you know, I would never take no for an answer. And from an early age, I always wanted to um, get the heck out of Dodge, as I say in one of my songs. But I've always had the song is called Wandering Heart, actually. And I I wrote it about like from the time I was in high school, I knew that I wanted to move to Nashville. I knew that I I 
I love South Dakota, but I knew that I needed to go somewhere bigger to achieve the size of the dreams that I wanted to accomplish or to at least have a, a real shot at that, you know? So I've always had a go-getter type of attitude. I'm a, I'm a chaser. I'm a pursuer. It's very, I just see something that I want and I'm like, I'm going to go over there and get that. I've always been that way. Always. So Haley, I know that in that path, with that determination, people might look at you and say, yeah, she just got lucky. You know, she fell into all these opportunities. But I do know that in addition to having to really hustle, this was not without some obstacles along the way Ugh. that some people would have just like, oh my gosh, I just can't take this anymore. Or, you know, I'm so sick of the of the harassment. You would think that people would want to go come behind you and say, you go girl, you know, you yeah. go get your dream. But can you talk a little bit about that? Because yeah. I know- this was not easy as a young, particularly as a teenager. Right. I think you really came up against this. Yes. And I actually, I call this my original trauma because all of our trauma as adults originates from somewhere. And I have one of my best friends in Nashville, actually, we just talked about this the other day because she went through the same thing. So I was, as soon as I started performing a lot and everyone around me in my small town realized that it was going to be a serious thing. And I had a real shot at success. Like, oh my God, she might leave. She might go be a star. All of those people, a lot of them became scared or jealous. And it, it started when I was in like, I mean, seventh, eighth grade, you know, when kids start, when that starts happening, when kids start getting attitudes and awareness of themselves and what they want to do. And I just always knew what I wanted to do, like from the time I was really small. But yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Like I would be on the front page of like the Madison daily leader and kids would be jealous. It's like, guys, calm down. Like, this is fine. You should just think that this is cool. Right. But you know, it's, I guess the nature of a small town and a small, a small area, I guess, where I don't know, it's just, it's just where I grew up. And a lot of it came from kids are insecure. And like I said, trying to figure out who they are and whatnot, but basically so long story short, I, um, my sophomore year, I was singing the national anthem at a volleyball game and my hometown student section started like heckling and booing me during the middle of it. And I was crushed. I was absolutely crushed. And like the weeks leading up to this, I had been bullied a ton and like our house was getting toilet papered and it was just ridiculous stuff that was happening. And, um, I don't think that this is like a unique situation. I think this happens all the time and I haven't really even talked about it as much as I should have at this point in my life, but you know, um, I'm talking about it now. So, so the next day I went, I transferred schools to where my parents were working because we thought that the situation would be better there. It was, it was even smaller. We thought it would be a little bit better. Um, and it ended up being okay for a while. And then the superintendent there was kind enough to, we put this program together for me. I started, I started going out um, and doing school assemblies where I was talking to students in South Dakota about setting goals, setting and achieving goals is what the program was called. So I would go sing and share my stories, the stories I had at that time as a teenager, um, which were still, I had some pretty cool stories back then. But um, so I started doing this and being gone from school I left the school a semester early to be out on the road 
And so the specifics of this are when I came back for prom, I mean, people were rude to me. It wasn't really that bad. It was just kind of noticeable, kind of hurtful. But then when I came back for my graduation ceremony, um, none of the girls would talk to me and everybody just kind of, it just kind of like turned into this thing. Like I was supposed to sing at our graduation ceremony and all of the girls were like, well, she was, she, it, she just wants attention attention, and she just wants to do this as a publicity stunt. And I'm like, guys, it's Chester, South Dakota. Like I've performed in front of 40,000 people. I don't really care about singing at our graduation. So anyway, um, I ended up, the superintendent let the, the students vote. And I think in a class of like 37 kids, only six kids voted that they wanted me to sing. Um, and so the superintendent let that happen, by the way, which cool. Thanks. I'm we're 18 years old. Like our brains aren't even fully developed, you know? So anyway, I mean, this is a long time ago, but, um, it was my, like, it was my, I call it my original trauma. And it was so, I was, I was gutted. I mean, I was 18 at this point and I hadn't experienced any other type of loss or hardship at that, at that point. I mean, little things here and there, like the bullying and whatever, but this was just like, this just really, really hurt. And I, I didn't talk to most of them. I didn't hear from any of them. Like I talked to a few of them and the few that I do talk to coincidentally are kids that we had always been super close. One of them lives in Portland now, like they moved to bigger cities. They got out, um, super open-minded, cool kids. And I don't hold grudges for anyone anymore because we, you know, we were 18 at the time, but that's kind of where the adversity started. And that's just kind of, it, it was a hard, hard lesson, but that's kind of human nature, honestly. Okay. So Haley, so I'm thinking about, you know, just the normal tribulations of going through puberty and your teenage years and the acceptance <laughs> and the mean girls and the dating, the guys, and here yes. you are massive <laughs> doing for your dream at like a very young age. And then being aside people that, you know, it feels like you're a mutant and yet you're just growing up like they are, and yet to keep you small and keep you safe, keep you the same, it's like this reactionary thing yeah. that's really human nature. Yes. So talk about how in the world did you pull yourself up? You know, some people would just like curl up into fetal position and, you know, <laughs> that'd be that for like, you know, now I'm, now I'm doing something horrible to myself. Talk about how you said, dang it. I'm just going to keep doing for myself. I'm going to yeah. put another step forward. I mean, when you're being harassed and you're still calling nursing homes and where can I sing? <laughs> yeah. and what festivals can <laughs> yeah. I go to? I mean, I mean, that's just really quite remarkable. Well, thank you. And first of all, I will say like, I was sad that entire summer. That was the, the, you know, graduation summer and you're supposed to be excited about going off to college and whatnot. And I, I remember being pretty sad and I was, um, I was really busy that summer and I just, that's what I focused on because that's what music is my first love. And that's what I've always lived for. And whenever anything has ever gone wrong, I throw myself into music and I started doing that at a very early age as well. And that's what I focused on. And I'm so glad that I did that because that's something that outlasted my little high school friends being mean to me. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm still that way now. Like whenever I'm dealing with something that's like real life stuff, adult things, I throw myself into making music. 
and that's just that's my that's my north northern star you know like that's my that's my compass in life so Haley, you talk about that being your compass and that you knew i love this i can feel this at my soul level what other things strengthened you through that while you talk about that being your original trauma did you have some Listen, I'm just going to show you people. Yes, like, actually, because sometimes that's, sometimes anger can be a good emotion oh, to help you take action. I have always also been that way, where it was like, oh, you think that I'm not going to be able to do this? Challenge accepted. Hold my beer. Whatever I need to say, like, <laughs> um, and maybe that's where that all started too. The motivation, having a little fire lit under my tail. I always work. I I've always worked better under pressure and better under I'm not living to prove people wrong at this point, but I definitely, there have definitely been times where it's felt really good to accomplish something. And I look back on those little, the mean girls or whatever, the mean girls club and hearing them say, you're never going to go anywhere or we hope you don't. And then just like, you know, hearing or being able to, to, to do that and hearing that in my head, it definitely helps to motivate. I'm not going to lie to you. It definitely adds a little more fuel to my fire. This is Haley. I have to tell you, this is what reminded me to get a hold of you. I think I saw you tweet something out about, hey, all of you who <laughs> treated me like crap in high school. Yes. <laughs> and now you're telling me that you like my music. I don't know how you stated it, but it was a true Haley Steele <laughs> moment that I thought, you oh, go, girl. But thank you. It was, kind of, I'm it was so, kind of amusing. I'm so mouthy on Twitter, but I just can't help myself sometimes. I will always stand up for myself. <laughs> I will never back down from a fight. Sometimes I should. But yeah, um... I think the tweet was something like, hey, um, I mean, I get these messages from like everyone that I went to high school with. And it's like, haven't talked to you since high school. You've never really seemed like you've been a supporter. And then you'll say, where should my boyfriend's cousin go eat in Nashville? Or like, who's playing on June (laughs) June 7th? And I'm just like, "Uh, well, there's this thing called Yelp and you can you can look on Yelp (laughs) for those things. Like now, if you're. If you're friends and family and I've talked to you in the last five years, I will write you a list that's 50 things long. But yeah, that was, it was just kind of like, come on people. And yeah, that's so great. And I had this when it's funny because that, that always goes in tandem with cool things happening for me. So like when, um, I was on the voice back in 2012, it was season two and I was in a duo and we were actually on the ads, like on the premiere ads, we were, we were on a commercial during the Super Bowl. And after that, which would have only been what, six years after I graduated high school, guess what? All of these Facebook messages started to pour in from my old high school classmates. And I'm just like, yeah, whatever. Cool. But that's just how it happens. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't care. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not going to give you my recommendations for where to take your bachelorette party when you come to Nashville. (laughs) So Haley, (laughs) Not only did you end up on The Voice, but you are now, I mean, you you took yourself to Nashville and you are making this amazing life for yourself. Um, in fact, I know that when we're done with you this evening that you have some gig going on, but you, but you have made it, you've done it, you've done it on your own. So I'm sure people are fascinated, like, what does she do? Like, <laughs> what are you doing? How did you, how did you, number one, get it, get there? 
How did you make this life for yourself? And then what does it look like? Because I don't think people really understand. That's like, okay, she's in Nashville. Yeah. She what? It's, yeah. It's, what, what are you doing, Haley? Well, it's really hard to quantify. And, you know, success is really hard to quantify. But I make a list of goals. I try to do it every with every new year so that I can visualize it and see it. I'm a huge believer in putting your frequencies out there and your vibes and telling manifesting and telling the universe what you want or telling God what you want, whatever you believe your higher power is. I'm a huge believer in that. And um, so, so again, success is hard to quantify, but one of the things that I've always wanted is I want to have a publishing deal, which is I want to make money writing songs I w- or make a living writing songs and just playing music. And I want to have, and then going further than that, like, one of my goals was I want to have a major label um, song get recorded, which we call it a cut here in Nashville. I want to have a major label cut. I want to play in the Grand Ole Opry. I want to have a video on CMT. And I haven't accomplished every goal on this list, but everything that I just listed off has happened. And I've been here for 14 years and I've gone through, I've been on TV. I've been on national tours in a bus. Like some people never get to experience these things and it never looks how you think it's going to look like, but I'm, I'm doing it, but it's also hard to quantify what you do on a day-to-day basis because every day is different. So for most songwriters, I'm, I'm actually in my office right now. This is my, my publishing company that um, I signed with in February is called Lady Luck. And you would love the woman who runs this company. Her name is Kim Pens. She's a real estate boss woman who lives in Dallas, comes back and forth to Nashville. She started this company and she loves what I do. And we get along super well because obviously we're very headstrong go-getters. You know, we have a lot of things in common. But um, I signed that deal in February. So for a typical publishing deal, you'll write three to five days a week. You'll come into an office like this with maybe people that you've never met before or people that you write with once a week or once a month. So that's a pretty normal thing. And then you know, sometimes you'll, we're on Music Row right now. We're in a, um, a legendary building that Dolly Parton used to record in. And there's, there's a bar right around the corner that you can walk to. So when you're done, you might go get a drink with your co-writers or there might be a show going on. Like tonight, I'm playing a writer's round. So that's basically an acoustic show that's set up as a guitar pull. Um, and this originated um, in the round, I believe it originated. One of the first places they started doing this was the Bluebird Cafe. Um, you sit in a circle and you it's like you're sitting around a campfire with guitars and you go around and the songwriters will share a story maybe of how the song came to be. And it might be a hit song that you grew up on or it might be a song that you've never heard before. And so you'll just do that with people until, you know, an hour and 90 minutes has gone by. It's super, super fun, but that's happening all the time. I play, I want to say I play probably once a month-ish here doing original music. And then also because I'm a singer and an artist, I'm doing more than just the writing thing. And there's a lot of that. There's a lot of people who are trying to get cuts as a songwriter and be an artist. So a lot of what I do on a day-to-day basis, sometimes people will just call me to sing on their records, which is super exciting for me. I just get to go in and use my training and use my voice, use my instrument. So I'm not even writing. I'm just singing, which is so easy and so fun. And then sometimes I'll be um, singing for somebody at a live show or I'll be traveling to do a show. It's really hard, but I, 
I don't really have a great routine. That's one of the things about doing this. You guys know this, you know, especially like in the the land of entrepreneurial business, there's no, every day is so different for me. Um, and I also am a night owl. My mom calls me her little night owl. But if I text you at four in the morning, that's because my brain is, that's when I'm awake. Like I'll, I'll probably go do this round, honestly. And then I'll go home and start working on something. And then I'll get, I'll get home or I'll get to bed super late. My right for tomorrow has already canceled. That's another thing that happens, you know, creative people, things come up. So now I know that I can stay up late and work on something by myself. So yeah, long story short, it's, it's, it's really hard to quantify the schedule and the, what I'm doing and the success, but I'm making a living doing what I love to do. So, I mean, that's, I would consider that to be success for any person alive. Now you've talked about what you're doing and then take us from graduation when people voted for you not to really perform. <laughs> it sounds so petty and, and childish. From the original trauma. <laughs> the original and trauma. And at, at 19 going to Nashville. So there must have been massive amount of taking action steps on your part to start moving in Nashville. Oh, Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Well, once again, um, I... I was very fortunate to have my mom and dad be so supportive of this idea because even though, I mean, they understand it pretty well at this point, but they didn't know. We, we all did not know what I would be up against in Nashville, like, or not up against, but like just what it actually takes. So I guess, so I did a semester of school at South Dakota state. I wasn't quite ready for the move yet. You know, like we kind of baby stepped it. So I lived on, campus in Brookings for one semester. And then I think I applied, I applied to Belmont University, which um, I applied to the School of Music Business here in Nashville. Um, and I, I wasn't quite sure if I ever wanted to use a degree or do anything else, but they also had a public relations, public relations program. So I applied for college here, got accepted and then accepted accepted that um, when the fall that I was 19. So yeah, it was 2007. And my mom and dad hauled me down. They hauled my little green Volkswagen behind their car. And I put on, we put all my stuff in it. I have the advantage of like, you know, having a roommate at school and having that kind of as a safety net to get to meet people and be safe and learn my way around. Um, so yeah, I, I did that. I, I finished college and a lot of stuff happened in between, but like, I think that those first couple of years at Belmont, I was just kind of getting the lay of the land and trying to do school. I was still going back and forth a lot because I, I was working with, um, I was working with Sanford at the time with the children's hospital writing songs for them. So I was actually on the road a lot coming back to South Dakota. I've always just been kind of <laughs> bouncing around. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how, how that all started. And then I started meeting people in Nashville and I started, I started getting in there right away. I was not afraid of anything just because of the way that it was in South Dakota. I was kind of a big fish as far as, you know, there's not a lot of performers in South Dakota that are 18 or 19 or whatever. So I really was fearless when I moved to Nashville, which I'm so glad that I was fearless and a little bit green and a little bit stupid to what what, what it actually took. And that is, 
that is so good because if I knew, I don't know if I would ever move here. You know what I mean? It's good that you're green and that you're naive. And I definitely was, but that enabled me to like, I would do the same thing. I would book shows with venues in Nashville. And one of those shows that I played, um, there was this guy at who's still a friend of mine. And at the time he was dating this girl named Jennifer Wayne. And she had been in town for a couple years and she actually came up to me after the show. And she's like, you are so talented. I just want to help you. She's like, I don't even know what I have to offer, but I want to start pulling you into co-writes. I want to help you. She took me out for, we had like late night nachos after the show and maybe a little (laughs) glass of wine. Probably she's, she's actually the reason she knows this. I blame her for my love of red wine. It's, it's her fault because she started showing me the ropes and she was kind of like my first mentor in Nashville. And now she's like, she's seeing amazing success with this band. She's in this band called Runaway June. She actually started the band and they're opening for Luke Bryan right now. But anyway, she just like out of the kindness of her heart started pulling me into these massive co-writes with massive hit songwriters. And I really had no business being there. I had no idea what I was doing, but along with going to school and like trying to hold on and then touring, coming back to South Dakota and doing the hospital thing. Um, I started writing with Jen a lot and I started co-writing at least two to three times a week. And then I started writing with fellow students and just kind of like whatever I could get my hands on. And then I met, I ended up meeting my duo partner, Leland Grant when I was 20 and I met him because I was interning through school and he was at a label party and we started writing. So it was just like, I wanted to do as much as I possibly could. And I'm so glad that I did because it all snowballed. And a lot of those people are still people that I work with to this day. And that was, I'm pushing 34 now. So that was, you know, 14 years ago almost. So, Oh my gosh, yeah. pushing 34. <laughs> but um, I, what I love about your story is that you talk about you didn't really ha- have to understand it all. In fact, your naivety, you you rested on your confidence of knowing you could sing. Yeah. Because you could, because you had rehearsed that a lot while you were very young. But you knew that if I can do that, then I can go into this next arena. And I think that's what Mel and I are trying to talk about is just decide to go. Just decide to do. Yes. Because you don't have to have it all tied up. Because look at you met a duo partner, and then you met the songwriter, and then you did this thing. Yeah. We don't know what's going to start to open up for us. Right. And I still don't. Like, you just, it just keeps going and evolving. But you have this incredible trust. I'm hustling. I'm working hard. I'm not just sitting back on my heels. I'm doing things. I've got a to-do list, and I've got my goal list, and I've got my things I'm wanting to manifest. But yet, I'm also trusting for some serendipity to show up. Yes. And when it does, and the door opens, then I will decide to move. And so I think that's the key, is these little openings, these little windows that start to creak open for you, yes. then it's time to decide. Absolutely. Um, God, there have been so many instances like that too, where, you know, sometimes people will say just out of sheer curiosity, like, how did you get that? Or how did this happen? Not in a mean way. They're generally just, uh, or genuinely just curious. And I think a lot of it is, what is it called? It's, it's opportunity plus preparation. So it's not really luck per se. It's like, I've done, I've put in my 10,000 hours of singing and songwriting and booking my own shows or whatever it is. 
plus a little bit of, yes, maybe luck is involved, a little bit of good fortune, but it's opportunity presenting itself. And you also have to put yourself in those situations. Like you have to be in Nashville to go go meet this person that sees you and wants to pull you into a co-write the next day. Like you've got to be there. So even just, even just being there, you're doing yourself a huge favor. You know, you don't have to be the best. Like I'm not the best. I'm not the best at any of this stuff compared to everyone else that I work with and that I know in Nashville. But I think that I will, um, I don't want to say outwork, but I will out, I'm the most, I'm tenacious almost to the point of it being annoying. I think, I definitely think I've annoyed people with my (laughs) persistence, but you're not going to get anything. You're never going to get anywhere unless you ask for things and poke people and let people know that you're around. So I don't care if I'm annoying to those people because it doesn't apply. Like, you know, but I think that's what I think. That's a huge component. Yeah. And that's what I, I, I mean, it's one of the things I admire and love about you. Um, but I also think one of the things that we talked about that I'm truly in admiration of you, Haley, is that, you know, you have had people who still to this day, you know, you have all these people who just want to pull you down, you know, you, you know, whether it's yeah. like, oh, she doesn't smile enough Ugh. or, oh, I don't like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I know you, you <laughs> told me that you've heard that before that, you know, that it's, it's, isn't it fascinating Yes, that people don't want us to I mean, they want to find the negative rather than saying, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Look where she's at. Look what she's achieved. Yes. You know, and I, I know you've talked about that. And that's like that's brain science, too. Like you, when you get addicted to negativity or if you're insecure or whatever, you're looking for that. Um, and that's something that I have learned through, you know, social media and whatever. And don't get me wrong. I get hmm. I know what's going to get a good response. I like to post memes. I like to make people laugh. I like to take my humor a little too far sometimes. I'm. I'm very um, upfront about what I believe in when I when I feel like it's the right time to stand up for something or say something. And then there's also times where it's like I'm a pretty like I'm a pretty sunshiny person, but I, I don't smile a lot in pictures. And part of my persona um, is, you know, I feel like I'm I grew up in the Wild West and I want to feel like, you know, my dad hunts and I, I feel like. We're, I come from this like family of of outlaws, sort of, and people who have gone <laughs> against the grain and and been a little bit, you know, feisty and uh, rule breakers, I guess. But it it blows me away how when I post something on Instagram or social media or whatever, I will get people coming at me, and this is actually mostly men. Like you, you should smile more, and it's the it's, it's so cliche, but it's like, you'd be so much prettier if you smiled. Um, when I was on the voice, the episode where we got eliminated, um, I didn't, I didn't do that thing where I smiled and I was like, thank you so much for having us. Oh my gosh. Like I was showing my genuine emotion, which was, I was upset and I think it's okay to do that. But I got, there were like, you can Google me still. And there's like blogs that have been written about me like South Dakota's ice queen, ice princess, whatever. And it's like, you don't, oh you don't know me. I'm just not fitting. Like, why am I entitled or why are you entitled to me smiling more? Like, that's my whole thing. Like, I mean, I, just fitting into a box that people like people have their own entitlement and expectations for what you should be. 
And the older that I get, I'm trying to learn how to let go of that because up until probably I turned 30, I felt like I want everyone to like me. And now it's like, no, like that, it doesn't matter. Like you need to be who you are, especially as a woman, a woman who's doing things and might be perceived a certain way. And if it upsets people, that's okay. But I'm trying to like, I'm trying to learn that with myself. And I'm trying to also learn that with other people. Like you don't owe anybody to be smiley or a certain weight or a certain hair color or, you know, Botox, no Botox. You don't owe anybody anything like when it comes to who you are. It's great advice because sometimes that can really hold people back from taking a good action step. Mm -hmm. You know, Haley, I want to go back to something that you said and, um, earlier in the podcast, you said how you love the feeling of going somewhere and just having this wanderlust. And and I was listening to a song that you just released, Raggedy Ann. And in that song, you, you had a line that said, picket white life would be a big white lie. And so talk a little bit about this wandering and yet these expectations that people might have for you in the decisions you should make. Right. And the ones that you actually are making and then finding a comfort with yourself. Well, that's, uh, that's such a good topic because that song is exactly, I'm not sure, like there is a part of me that wants to fit into those boxes, the things that we do when we, you know, and I've written another song about it. That's like, I wish that all I wanted was to be a wife and mother and grow a garden because I would love that so much. I would love to live in South Dakota I would love to fit into this box that maybe I've put more pressure on myself, but I, I perceive that people that I know are putting me in this box. Like I feel like certain family members of mine might have certain expectations for what I should be doing. It's not necessarily about my grandma. That's what I talk about in the song, but my grandmas are both cool as heck. And they're like, they're both so supportive. Like, but um, those are, I also put those pressures on myself or I have before to fit into those boxes. And I know so many people in Nashville who were all kind of the outliers and we all come here and we all live this unconventional life. And it's hard to let go of that box. Sometimes when things do get hard, I will be very vulnerable with you. When things do get hard here, I still call my mom sometimes and I'm like, why can't I just want the normal thing? Like, what am I, you know? Because there will always be ups and downs doing this until I'm not doing it anymore, you know? But I don't know, Haley, if that is a normal thing. So I don't think you should put, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, isn't interesting what that box looks like for us? Yeah, yeah. And and it's like, as women, it's like we have pressures. Once again, Mm -hmm. because scientifically, like if we want to have kids, like we've got to do it, you know, we're supposed to do it before we're 40. And it's, there's all this pressure and I, when I moved to Nashville, I thought that, um, I thought I was going to turn into like the next Carrie Underwood immediately. I thought I was going to be here for a year and I was going to blow up. That's also the <laughs> naivety speaking, but I thought I was going to have that all out of the way and be like rich and famous and retired by the time I was like 27 and then have kids and be a young <laughs> mom, find the love of my life, just live in a mansion somewhere in Nashville and It's really funny because all of that has been, none of that has happened the way that I saw it happening. And now it feels like I'm closer to all of that now than I ever was. 
you know? And I'm so glad that like, gosh, I'm glad that I didn't blow up as an artist when I was 23 because I wasn't, I had nothing to say then. I hadn't really been through that much. Yeah, my high school experience, but I've like, I'm 33 now. I've lived life. I've been, I've been through things. I've, I've gotten dropped from deals several times. I've been fired. I've, I've fired people. I've worked with people. I've had, I've been engaged before and had a a broken engagement. I've had, you know, like, it's not a competition. I'm just saying I have so much more to say now that would resonate with more people, I hope. And also the struggle of fitting into the box and fitting into the the age and the timeline and the XYZ that we're, we all feel like we're supposed to be at some point or fitting into like this, like a certain aesthetic box or all of that. So, so Haley, you know, with having this lived experience now and really seeing and starting to pull it together into a maturity of your focus doing of how you're getting it done. What advice would you give to others to, you know, feel comfortable calling your mom and saying, why can't I just fit in to what everything else is going? Because my heart is telling me to do something different. What advice would you give to women that are feeling that same thing? I mean, it is scary. It is really scary. Um, I read a book during quarantine that absolutely changed my life. And I was living, I was living in South Dakota and I, it was, it was the very beginning of COVID, not sure what was happening. And I just knew that I didn't want to be there forever. And I read this book. Can I say the, can I say what the book is? Please. Sure. Okay. Oh, sure. Okay. So it's, the book is untamed and it's Glennon Doyle. And one of the things that she says, is she talks about the cheetah in the wild and you're not meant to be tamed. But the one thing that she says is, the thing that resonates with me the most that she says is we can do hard things. And then the second thing that she said was, you know, like take your life. And if it's not, if you know in your gut that it's not right for you, then light it on fire and start over. It's going to be hard. It's going to be scary. And that's essentially what I've done because I was in South Dakota so much the last few years. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go back to Nashville now knowing what I know And, but I can do it because we can do hard things. So I know that I'm taking that from somebody else, but she, I mean, take advice from people that, you know, you, if you respect their lifestyle or you want something that they have, then take their advice. And that, and then, you know, like the whole thing of, you don't really owe anybody anything. I mean, try not to go around like, hurting people. Don't be a serial killer, obviously, but like you you don't owe it to anyone. You don't owe it to your parents or anyone in your family or your boyfriend or your girlfriend, or, you know, like you have to live your life and you have to live your truth and, and just, you have to believe in that because your gut's not going to lie to you. So I, this is Mel, this is, I need to listen to this and tell myself this, you know, (laughs) and we're loving that you're telling us. Yeah. Because it's like, okay, we gotta, we gotta do the same. That's so funny. Okay. So Haley, in preparation for the next, in an hour, you're going to go up. You just got to give us at least 45 seconds of, of something that you can sing for us. Okay. That's going to tell a piece of you. So you get to pick. Okay. I'm going to pick. But would you listeners would love to hear, they would love to hear from you. Okay. Um, should I do Raggedy Ann since we talked about it? Oh, sure. Please. Okay. It's yeah. so wonderful. Okay. Uh, okay. I'll do a verse and a chorus. This will get me all warmed up. 
Okay. That's right. Ready? <laughs> I wish I had my guitar. Ready. Okay. Living in a small town comes with expectations. Church on Sundays and married after graduation. For my 29th birthday, my grandma gave me a card and a baby blanket. Raggedy Ann, Raggedy Ann. Oh, maybe you could settle me down. I could find me a man with some money, be his wife. We could have a few babies and a big old house. Dinner on the table, name on paper, a diamond on my head. I'm never gonna be what you hope for me, Raggedy Ann. Oh my there gosh. Oh my Yay. god. Oh, that's so amazing. Oh my gosh. So Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh. And we'll when we post your podcast, we need to put a link to Raggedy Ann yes. and to your songs. We just you're just so such amazing. an incredibly accomplished singer oh. and songwriter Thank and just you so much. Someone we're so proud that you are rooted in South Dakota. Yes, and me yet too. You have you made all these, ways. Yeah. all these decisions <laughs> to fly. And so thank you so much for being on our show. And we just want to thank everyone who's out there listening. I know that you're going to be really intrigued with Haley's story and really compelled within yourself to take stock. Like, are you, are you about the business of doing? Are you listening to what's going on in your heart? Because the deal is massive doing around your dreams and your true soul takes risk. It's not easy. It's sweat equity. But the joy on the other end for when those doors open up, when people come into your life that help you to get where you need to go are simply immeasurable. So we want to leave you with this question. What are you thinking about for your next big doing or little doing that gets you closer to your authentic self? Thanks again for tuning in to this show, Influential She. We hope you'll do it again. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed our podcast, we'd be so jazzed if you rate us on whatever app you use to find us. And hey, be sure to tell all your friends about Influential She. And please visit us at InfluentialShe.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. And you know what? If you come up with a new one, please let us know. In the meantime, remember, stay influential. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at teachbetter.com slash podcasts, and we'll see you at the next episode.